You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is To Stir With Love with Rabbi Yitzchak Kowalkowski. I'm Aprom Kipolevich. Rabbi Yitzchak, um, it's been said many times that the only there's only three times the gates of the prison open. One, to let the prisoners in. The second time is if the prisoner serves their time. And the third, if the prisoner dies, that the body is taken out of the prison. Otherwise, you're in, unless you serve your time, or you get, uh, you get paroled, you don't leave. But I know that there are probably other situations where humanitarian reasons or other things might call for this prisoner, despite what he's done, to allow them, obviously with the right safeguards, to be able to leave um, for certain life moments, for certain things that uh, are, are, are significant. Um, and, and, and then the person would return to prison or be returned. Um, can you spell out for me what's the parameters of if that's allowed, I know that there might be a difference between federal and state prisons, but start with where where you're coming from, where you're working now in the state prison in Waymart. Is there a way that the prisoner can somehow, for personal reasons, be allowed to leave? Well, there there's times when they're allowed to leave, and there's times when it's not even really their choice. The times when they would be allowed to leave would be tra- tragic times if if they... And those are times that uh, they usually get the news from me or from one of our other chaplains. Uh, the news would either be that uh, a member of their family has passed away or that a member of their family is seriously ill and perhaps uh, perhaps on their deathbed. And in those cases, we do offer an option that uh, depending on the security level the inmate is under, if, if, if he or in a and the female prison of she is able to uh, we do have two two prisons that are strictly female prisons in Pennsylvania and then two, two other prisons that have both male and female inmates uh, in the state system uh, and but, I, and I, I see I, you brought a, I see you brought a recording from that female prison about what uh, we just heard a little shriek there women behind bars was that what was that what that was oh i don't think so I mean, I, I, it's actually a boy Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I know. I, there's there's an exploitation film there somewhere. But anyway, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you have, <laughs> but yes, we get the picture. So there's women and men's prisons, and sometimes they can leave. Now, is we know the halacha. We know the the Jewish law. The halacha is that there's seven close relatives. Is that is that the way it works there, or is it is only mother or father, uh, or does it? Uh, it it's. It... I don't know if uh, if a brother or a sister, but as far as a mother or father or child, uh, which unfortunately or or a wife or maybe a wife or a spouse, yeah. Uh, So in other words, a wife, a wife or a child or a parent, the the prisoner uh, is. As far as I know, possibly. uh, I know we do we do give um, death notices for all relatives, for grandparents, for. Aunts and uncles and cousins, we do we do give the death notices, but we don't generally uh, offer uh, 
um, a, a deathbed visit. Okay, so tell me about what that offer is, whether it's a deathbed visit or to to somehow be engaged in the funeral. How does that work? You say there's security issues. Um, I, I, give me some of the details. I know I'm fascinated by it. I'm sure the people who tune in religiously to hear this Tales from Prison um, program would well, like I, to know. I've never actually been directly involved in it. Generally, what if it, you know, I will ask the inmate if they're interested in pursuing that and inform them that it's extremely expensive and if they are interested in pursuing that, then it would be their counselor or the unit manager would be the the address to uh, to facilitate something like that. And ever since COVID began, nothing like nothing like okay. that has been. All right, but well, you know, get, let's imagine the world pre and hopefully soon post COVID with the CDC's new rulings and vaccinations occurring. And I know it's another discussion about vaccinations in prisons, but I, really, I, mean, I, I already I, I don't want us to go down that rabbit hole. I want you to just. Tell me, because I'm fascinated here, what did you mean before when you said it's extremely expensive? I mean, obviously, keeping a prisoner is always expensive. What do you mean it's expensive? Is this, Are you telling me that the prisoner himself would have to bear the costs of his trip? Yes, absolutely, because this is this is his choice that, or, or his family has to pay for it. It's their choice that, you know, we, we offer them this option if they are eligible to go out, and then from there, they have to they have to pay two overtime for two correctional officers. We don't we don't like to use the word guards. Uh, so they'd have to pay for whatever their overtime is, and then for whatever the mileage is uh, for the trip. And then once they get there, it's it's not so it's not like they get to you know put on a nice suit and sit at their at their father's funeral. Pretty much, they're from what I was told. I've never been there when they do it, but they. They have the handcuffs on behind their back, and they're escorted by two two COs, and uh, maybe more if they're maybe a higher risk. So, and they so, so. and and they have some time to pay if it if it's a death a, a funeral visit funeral home visit. They don't actually attend the funeral, but like some time before the funeral, they'll go to the funeral home and pay their respects privately um, when nobody else is around. They might be able to visit with one or two relatives but generally not they uh what, what are they wor- what are they worried about what's going to happen at the funeral i mean the, they think that he's going to get slipped a a, a file uh he's going to kiss his sister and his sister is going to slip a file in his mouth and, and... Or, or 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 some drugs or yeah all kinds of things it could be there there there's the any interaction with a civilian is the security risk. So when they have just visits in the visiting room, they have to be strip searched afterwards. When we have uh, graduation, because the, the inmates in the prison, <coughs> they can uh, complete their high school education and some vocational education, maybe a little bit of college in prison. And once a year we have a graduation and we do allow the uh, inmates' families to come and be present at the graduation, but once they're done with that, once they have this day and they're standing with the cap and gown, then they all have to be searched, uh, cavity searched, and everything. Oh, wow. Because, because they've interacted know. with someone. So therefore, if this, uh, when we're talking about the case of this fellow man or woman who is going to the, the who is attending the funeral, but not really the funeral, they're really just pre-funeral, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just in order to sort of connect with the body 
of the person who's passed away. How about if they make it uh, to the deathbed? I, I can imagine that there's a father who's dying wish. Can I, I wish I could see my son who's in Waymart? Maybe I know he's there, but if it would mean so much to me before I go to my maker that I would get to see my son just one last time. Are you telling me that yeah. they would bring him in in the jumpsuit and he would, he would be in the hospital and the father is seeing his son for the last time or, 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 or he's seeing his wife who's dying from cancer for the last time and the last image she's going to see is the guy in the, in, in, in the jumpsuit. He's got to have a Department of Corrections written all over him at that time? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It would seem that there's a, yeah. And can you, can you, again, probably if it's, even if it's a hundred or 200 miles away or less, it could probably be a pretty large bill, uh, this, this thing, right? Do any of the, 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 the prisoners, where are they going to get that money from, from, from their family or for their own account? I mean, they'll, they'll owe it. <laughs> I mean, how are they going to pay it? I mean, they, they have, they have access to their bank accounts. I thought, Aren't don't aren't prisoners' bank accounts frozen and things like that at certain states? Well, they, they have they have a prison bank account and uh, but or their family can can pay it. But they you know they do have ways that they they have their own bank account because they work in the prison, so they uh-huh. they get paid for their work. And also with the with the stimulus package right now, a lot of the inmates, especially if they worked uh, last year on the outside and now they're incarcerated, they could be eligible to receive uh, so some of that money could, but w- would you say it's probably, it's a pretty petty, what do you mean to say? Uh, let's assume it's about a hundred miles, the trip, let's just say a hundred or something like that. I, I, I would, I would, would you say I would think something between 1200 and $1,800, uh, is what I would assume. Now, in, in, in terms of your knowledge of, I know you say that you're just a messenger, but you obviously are aware of what happens and whether the person went or not, uh, does it happen often that they take advantage of uh, the visit at the funeral home or to go to the deathbed? Does that happen often? Extremely, extremely rare. It happens every now and then, but it's it's extremely rare because, uh, first of all, not everyone's eligible to receive such a such a privilege, and 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 after that, even if they are. It might be too expensive uh, if it's a little bit closer, you know, for, I don't know if it's the next town over, it's in Carbondale or in Honesdale or, or maybe even Scranton, which is not that far, maybe a half hour away. Uh, it might be a little bit more affordable, but to travel to Philadelphia, where a lot of the guys are from, or or to uh, certainly to Pittsburgh, which is much further away. We do have some inmates from Pittsburgh. Uh, I think we have much more that are from Philadelphia, but it's it could be uh, I see. it could be quite a distance, and it's and prohibitive. More, more... It sounds to me, Yitzhak, and I, and I know you don't want to criticize your bosses. You're very uh, careful about that. It sounds to me like a crock. I mean, okay, yeah, technically we offer it, but there's so many reasons why the prisoner's not going to do it. So uh, they can say, look, look how human, look what type of humanitarians we are. Uh, we do allow, uh, you know, uh, the attending, but what sort of attending of the funeral is it? I, I would be, if I was in that state, I mean, you know, here's the rest of my family that are paying respects, the rabbi or the, the, um, the priest is talking and I wasn't even there. You know, I got to see the body before it was. And I think it's such a frustrating way to do it that uh, it sort of like hinders and, and and clearly it's not like you're trying to to, to make it happen. There's so many uh, stipulations that it sounds like, you know, it's more uh, theoretical, although there might be people who take advantage of it. 
Um, and, and, so and I, I, more, they're more likely to take advantage of the deathbed visit than the funeral visit, I would say. But then they, as far as a funeral, there is the other option, which they could actually do more than one option. They don't, it's, it's not, it's not either or, it could be both. Uh, what we often will do is we have the, um, the uh, person, uh, they can, they can do this option. And then the other option is they can watch even before COVID, they could watch the, the funeral on zoom or it could be recorded and a recording could be sent in. Uh, and that would be the way that they could uh, participate there. And then the other option uh, is which, what one of our chaplains often does is he will, you know, set aside time, even if it's not the time when he's working, he'll come in and pray with the inmate and kind of do a little funeral service privately with him to pray with him and to, uh, to offer his condolences. Okay. That's the, Again, so, I, I, I guess you're right. Three, uh, the one, the interesting thing about the video, particularly if it's a, re a recording that's sent in, is that we have to be very careful that there is no message to the inmate. <laughs> so you guys, be, so basically, like like old Soviet Russia, you guys have to screen the video before you show it to. Absolutely, they have to be making sure they're they're not flashing any gang signs. They're not making, let's say. Let's say the funeral was for a murder victim. Let's say the the, the inmate's brother got killed, and uh, there might be some some gang sign to uh, to take revenge. That would be a uh, that would be a security threat. So we have to keep an eye on that. And even if even if the whole video is kosher, and then at the end you got that little you know some flipping gang signs, and we showed to the to the gang lieutenant who who's an expert in these things. <laughs> We're going to say no. We uh, we cannot. It's like, we the, it's, like the, it's like the sneaker in Star Wars, right? The, supposedly, if you slow down the uh, the film, you can see a sneaker, right? As one of the one of the one of the ships uh, from with the Death Star together. Supposedly, they threw that in. So you you're going to have to slow down the video and see if you can catch some of those subliminal messages. Wow. My kid, my my kid, my kids are going to. Be looking for that now. <laughs> I never heard that one. You never heard about the sneaker? Yeah, it's somewhere there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a PF flyer or kids, but there's definitely something there um, for the eagle eyed person. So, what a great, incredible security things that need to be to be done. What about um, now? Obviously, Waymart, we talked about the very few Jewish prisoners. Um, do you know of any incidents where, you know, because I seem to have something in the back of my mind about the um, Jewish inmates being able to to leave and even attend family simchas. What am I What am I thinking about here? Well, that could happen in, in a federal prison, particularly if the inmate is uh, in a in a uh, camp setting in the federal prisons, which is lower than a low security prison. The, the like, for example, Otisville has a medium and a camp, so most of the Jews who were at Otisville, although Baruch Hashem. I, what I understand is President Trump kind of uh, shared the uh, minion in Otisville. There's there's really no minion there now, for Hashem. Uh, but the uh, the the guys in Otisville they could have a furlough, and I, I understand there was a story. Maybe we told this story before that there was a uh, one of the Nadvarna Rebbes was was an inmate in Otisville, and they allowed him to every day of Hanukkah. 
go to Monroe to go to the mikveh before lighting Hanukkah lech, uh, and it was before they built the mikveh inside Otisville. So, uh, <laughs> and 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 the, the he, he, he they got in trouble for that because there was a court case in the state prisons in California. They wouldn't let the inmates wear a yarmulke. They said, "Look at this. Here in the state prison in, in California, you can't wear a yarmulke, and in and in in the federal prison, you you can have a, a furlough to go to go to the mikveh eight days of Hanukkah before Hanukkah lech." Um, but uh, but pretty much, if you have a furlough, you have a furlough. It's not a you could do whatever you want in the furlough. So if you have a furlough, you yeah, can, with this furlough, can, there's a, a correction officer doesn't accompany the 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 incarcerated one or the one who's in the camp. The well, fur- I understand. First of all, when it, if you're in a camp, uh, certain people who uh, they might have a job and they can go into town and uh, and pick and pick up some supplies from Walmart or something that that's something i remember uh, when i worked in petersburg was that we had a camp in a low and a medium and you would see the inmates from the camp with their uniform on go on their own in a truck and a, a truck that belongs to the federal government and, and drive into town and i would assume they had a gps bracelet on i would assume they had a gps ankle bracelet i i, I remember hearing on the news that there was two inmates that went out and didn't come back and uh, they know they're going to get caught and they know that when they do something like that now they no longer have the privilege of being in the camp so now they they're going to have to switch and and uh, live in the uh, in the lower and the medium they're probably going to have some years added to their sentence so that usually is uh, i guess a, a, in the federal in the, the federal system that's a, if someone's in a camp it's enough of a deterrent to know that uh, if you're I know uh, right in Waymart, we have a federal prison too, Canaan, Canaan, and there they have uh, a camp and they have a, a high secure, uh, you know, very high security, they call a penitentiary, uh, which is, is, you know, where they have like Al-Qaeda terrorists, a very high security prison. And so can you imagine the the NAFCA? I mean, I've never actually been inside there, passed by there, but between the camp and the you know, I'm used to, I've seen a, a camp, a medium, a low, but this is uh, much more. Uh, well, so maybe, see. who knows, maybe you'll be Zilcha and you'll be able to do double dipping and become, uh, uh, to, get, yeah. to get a job in both places. Who knows? Maybe uh, you, you Generally, we don't have jobs, but we do like to, you know, trade, uh, talk shop and trade secrets. And once, once COVID ends, you know, we'll go back to that. And it was, it was actually my, one of my predecessors would, would sw- would uh, switch off with the chaplain from the other from the federal prison doing the Sunday sermons, uh-huh. one and the other. So they that that was a common. They it wasn't a paid thing. It was just a, 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 a you know they were going themselves. Well, yeah, they, yeah, it's definitely fascinating to be able to talk shop, especially since you know a po- there are a million podcasters, maybe twenty million. I guess I guess everybody's a podcaster, and I don't know if that's what I am specifically, but I think that's mostly what I am. And there's many people giving Dafyomi and other types of shiurim, but uh, your click is, I think, a pretty uh, narrow one. Uh, the amount of chaplains in prisons, um, you know. Although, you know, I, I'm sure that it must be fascinating to be able to talk shop and exchange scuttlebutt and, and information in ways that only you guys appreciate. And that really underscores, I guess, the significance of our program that we're able to get these type of uh, great little nuggets. Of so back to your question, the, the, you know, generally with something like that, if uh, 
I, I understand, you know, this the inmate Samet, who was very well known, Mordechai Samet, who was released this year, he would he would use his his furloughs to go to to Hastanas of his children, and all the pictures I saw from there, he was wearing a stripe on the back of his. He wasn't he wasn't in his uh, in his prison uniform. So they they did it. So it does sound that at least on some well again, but as you said, he was in a. I guess he the I don't know if it's not a difference between federal and state. But it has to do with the severity of who that person is. Again, I have friends, unfortunately, that were imprisoned, and I know they had to wear the bracelet when they were um, they were Rosh Hashivas, and they never had to wear uh, the bracelet uh, when they got back. And um, and I think uh, that is one of the ways that um, it's. The, but at least there is some, you know. I guess what I'm getting at and what I said before is we know part of prison is destroying human dignity. At least that's what it was. And the idea is you don't deserve this. We talked about rights. We talked about getting your rights back. And and I think when it comes to these life events, and let me just make this point. In your prison, it's about death. You lose your rights to be connected to life events, even with guards. The only way, the only option that's given is when it, it ties into something that's mortality, that's connected to a, a father, a, a spouse dying, a child dying, or the death of one of those things. But you lose your rights to dance at a wedding. You lose your rights to be connected to any of these moments that are so special that every the rest of us look forward to and we actually remember as the high points of our life. That's what being in prison is, that you lose that. And that's why, you know, it, it's quite terrible when you think about it, you know, not only is it so, you know, uh, bizarre, the, the way, you know, appearing at you, appearing at the funeral home for five minutes before the funeral in your jumpsuit, but the fact that you are shut out completely from most of what the world considers the reason to live. We live for those moments. We live for those graduations. We live for those bar mitzvahs. We live for those weddings. We live to, to, to be able to walk our daughter down the aisle for the chuppah. And that's part of the the, the, the reality of the prison uh, system. And you know, I guess, you know, the, the, it ain't a prison if, if really, I mean, uh, if it allows I, I, everything it's, else. It's, uh, you know, I don't work for the feds anymore, but I remember... Um, well, first of all, I remember that the one Rosh Hashiva was there. They, the chaplain was nice enough to let him listen to the chuppah of one of his children on the telephone. That was the most he was able to to accomplish. But, but I, there was there was another uh, one of the the a daughter of one of the inmates uh, married. A, you know, I I knew this couple. I think before I had met them at a Hillel event uh, when that I spoke at in Richmond. And I knew them, and I didn't really realize that it was, her father was this guy in the in, in the prison, in the federal prison. I didn't put two and two together that I, I you know. And so when uh, after the by the chasna, I realized, you know, she told me the whole, and I realized who it was and everything. And I said, please make sure that no pictures of me uh, wind up in the in the prison officiating at this wedding. And but lo and behold, they did. I didn't get in trouble for it, but I, I probably could have. But they, 
the uh, and I and I still have pictures from that. I have pictures of me being the Sarah Kedushin at the hospital. Yitzchok, I think you're going to end up uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records at one point in terms of sheer amounts of weddings that you are. You're going to be the king of of weddings the way you're going. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm already close to a thousand, probably over yeah. the the past. Uh, That's incredible. All right, let's. Uh, um, why don't we shift this a little bit to our favorite part of the program, which is where we somehow connect the ideas. And again, you know, it's, it's really not fair. We talked about guns and other things before. There's death almost in every movie. I mean, every movie somebody dies. Um, and if there's death, you know, there's many of those movies do have um, not only a, a death scene, you know, a person dying, but also, of course, uh, some of them, many of them have funerals and, uh, I know that there's many, many films that they use funerals as a rationale for the film. Uh, I think probably the most famous one, I haven't seen it, although most people my age have, is The Big Chill, uh, which was, of course, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who was a Jewish fellow, um, the same director of Body Heat, which, again, uh, uh, sort of an upgraded film noir. I didn't see The Big Chill, but it basically uses the the funeral as a crafting device um, to get all the characters involved and to talk about the person who died and whatever, uh, and then, you know, maybe become something more than that. Uh, but it's, it's really been, it, there are many, many films that are that way. Uh, what films strike you about people making an effort to get to either someone who's dying or uh, to get to a funeral? Uh, anything, uh, anything that uh, comes, springs to mind right away? There's one movie that I, my Bobby always talked about, and I remember on Channel 55, they finally showed it. She would always talk about this movie, Bye Bye Braverman, which is a, a very Jewish movie. I love that film. I love it. Sidney Lumet, uh, the great uh, Jewish New York director, uh, I believe was the director of that comedy. He's usually known for like the pawnbroker and you know a lot of uh, gritty uh, drama. Uh, it's really a hoot. Um, and, and watch talk a little bit about the movie. I'll I'll respond. Well, it's about uh, I, what is it? Four Jewish intellectuals. None none of them are religious. Trying to get to their friend's rabbi. That's basically and and they and the, all the uh, traffic that they get into uh, driving. I guess they were they were driving from from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Right. Uh, it's been many years since I've seen the movie. And was, I, I remember uh, when I saw it, and I, you know, I, I knew those streets. I knew the Belt Parkway. I knew Ocean Parkway. I, I remember that they, there's one great montage where they don't know where they're going, and uh, they stop at various shoals and various places. And one of the places, it's clear that it's Yeshiva Schein Berlin on Coney Island Avenue. Um, I always, yeah. I always imagined that Rav Hutner was somehow chasing them with his cane, and because in the scene you can see the fellow runs into the, he runs into the. To the shul and then runs into Chaim Berlin and he immediately runs back out. So I always wondered, you know, it was filmed on location, wondering if maybe there was uh, quite something over there. Um, of course, you have to love, uh, and so they're all trying to get to Braverman's funeral, right? All these these yeah. fellows. And, and and do they, as far as I remember, I don't even know if they make it, right? They end up at some other funeral, right? They're, like They end up going to someplace and it turns out, I think they're at a funeral that's being officiated by Alan King, right? Yeah, Alan King was the rabbi. It reminds me of a funeral I I was trying to get to myself, and and I I got stuck, and it was I was it was the cemetery next to one of our neighbors here got buried in Queens, and I'm trying to get to this Leviah, 
and I go to the wrong cemetery, and then another set, another funeral goes on. It was a Russian funeral, and I got stuck, and I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm not, I'm at the wrong funeral, and they wouldn't let me out. And by the time they let me out, the other, the funeral I was supposed to go to was over already. So. Right. I, I, I mean, you probably didn't have anyone as funny as Alan King. Uh, no. doing the proceedings. I think it also, well, just uh, just to be masked with Shevach, the other Jewish actors, George Siegel, <clears throat> who uh, and it was a, a leading, one of the first leading men that was so Jewish. You know, Garfield, of course, was Jewish and he played a Jew in a couple of films. But George Siegel was like, really, you know, there was no hiding it. We know Dustin Hoffman's Jewish, but he doesn't play a Jew in The Graduate, really. But George Siegel played the Jewish leading man, which I thought was interesting. Um, and uh, I think it was also uh, Joseph Wiseman, a character actor who uh, he was in a couple of, uh, of, of real gritty film noirs and stuff like that as well. But he plays, I think, one of the most uh, you know snobby intellectuals. And I think Sorel Book is the driver of the little car. The cameo of the other Jew who's not in the car, but they get into an accident with, I think needs to be mentioned as well. And uh, that's, of course, the great late Godfrey Cambridge, who left us much yeah. too young. <clears throat> a great uh, African-American intellectual. Actually came from the Caribbean, I believe. Yeah, that, that's a great... That's a great... great yes, and I think, you know, um, it turns out that uh, he ends up being a gear or he ends up being a Jew as yeah, well. He talks about Conniff the Ganif and he, and he gets all kinds of... Uh, all kinds, all kinds of uh, good Yiddish lines. And he was right. more Jewish than all the born Jews. That was, right. the, that right. was the whole top. And, and I remember Weissman saying, converts, converts. We always, you know, he doesn't like converts. Uh, it, it was definitely a great, great choice. It doesn't really say, there is one scene, I think it's sort of like grafted on, where George Siegel is sitting in, you know, in a cemetery, contemplating death, thinking about death. Um I remember again the, the Jewish women in the film are are also um, quite lascivious, as far as I remember. So, uh, it, 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 I guess if if are if there are Yeshivalite uh, that are taking these uh, uh, options down, just know there is a little bit of a risque element in it. And I, I, you know, I must, I must have seen the the edited version that they showed on Channel Fifty Five. So yeah, I, I, guess, uh, <laughs> I don't remember any nudity. I just remember that there was a lot of talking about fooling around. I think in there, and there was definitely contemplation about death. Um, I'm not sure. Again, you know, did it really reach the idea of of, of, of what does it mean to to to, to think about a, a person's life? I think that there's a, I guess there's a little bit of it there, but most of it is just a hoot. Um, I'm going to uh, throw in. Um, an idea. Actually, I have two films. One of them has to do with uh, getting to someone before they die. Um, and of course, there's been death scenes in, in so many films, love story and everything. But I don't know, for, the, for some reason, one of the more effective scenes of getting to someone's deathbed before they die uh, and a goodbye scene of a, of, a, of a parent to a child was in another Jewish director, James Brooks, who was a, obviously a very successful television director, who took a stab at directing a number of films, and many of them were Academy Award winners. And this one, I think, was uh, an Academy Award for Best Picture and for Best Actress, for Shirley MacLaine. But I'm really talking about the scene where um, the deaths, you know, the, the scene where, where Shirley MacLaine's daughter in the film, Deborah Winger, uh, ends up, uh, you know, speaking to her children. I think it was... Um, um, I think, you know, there was, uh, was it Jeff Daniels, um, or, or, or 
and and she speaks to her mother. Very, very, again, you can't, definitely a, a two or three handkerchief of movie uh, because she's a young woman who has a couple of young children um, and she's dying of cancer and um, uh, very, very, I think, powerfully, powerfully done by Deborah Winger. I mean, De- Deborah Winger is was my name na- is my neighbor here. What? She's, uh, Deborah Deborah Winger is your neighbor up there in uh, in Swan Lake? Not in White Lake, actually. Not my neighbor. My mother's neighbor in Calicoon, and the she was our drama teacher when I was in junior high school. We had a summer uh, drama program. I wrote a play, and uh, and and kind of really put it together. And she helped us. Uh, but the Deborah and Winger she, at that, we know how old you are. Deborah Winger at this point had already been a, a very successful movie star. I mean, she was uh, started oh, yeah. off uh, with little roles on television, but I think um, Urban was an Urban Cowboy, and um, and obviously in 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 in, in, in this in um, terms of endearment, I mean, she was almost an A-lister. What was she doing? Slumming, teaching kids. Where's this? Where in Queens? What was she doing? Uh, no, in in Calicoon, in the Calicoon Youth Center, and she. Where's Calicoon? Uh, Where's that? It's about uh, it's it's up the uh, up up to seventeen B from White Lake. It's uh, the I end see. of seventeen. So you guys, that's where you lived as a as a as a as a preteen. You lived up in Calicoon. Yeah, my 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 parents have a farm there. My 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 father passed away already, but my mother lives on the farm there, and that's where I lived from. So from De- when I was about so Deborah Winger, so Deborah Winger, with all her Hollywood cash, decided to buy a little estate up there in. Uh, in- Not a little estate, a big estate, a big <laughs> farm, a big ranch, and she has a caretaker. And the the caretaker was really the one who kind of was a big wheel at the youth center and, and, but her own kids were involved. Their home kids went to public school together with me. Wow. Uh, Deborah Winger's kids. Uh, who, is, who, is she, who is she married to? She's married to, uh, not married well, to a uh, Jew, was she? Her, her, um, her first husband was, uh, what's the name? Hutton. What's his name? Timothy Hutton. Uh, Timothy Hutton. Timothy Hutton was, who, who played in ordinary people. Yeah. And he actually, they they were on good terms and he visited us there too and uh, but her uh, current husband who was the husband at the time was Arliss Howard who I believe is Jewish uh, Arliss Howard Arliss Howard I, I've listened to Arliss, Arliss Howard uh, he does um, when I used to drive cars all the time I used to listen to books read by Arliss Howard he's a, uh, a, a good professional I don't know what the term is again anymore but, uh, but he, he does recorded books Arliss so um, he, he was in Full Metal Jacket, I think. I I, yeah, I, I remember he was in one of the graphic. Whatever it was, he was. Yeah, he he never. Yeah, I know who he is. Um, he's he, he's, I think a, a B lister. I don't. Deborah Winger was really. Uh, I, I can't believe that. I mean, Deborah Winger was really uh, involved. Like she decided this was a a public school summer camp type of thing. It wasn't public school. It was uh, just the, the the youth center, the community center in town on the on the so Delaware River. So Deborah Winger, it's about it's like out of a sitcom. I mean, here is the actress decide she's going to she's going to direct you. She's going to t- give you some tips and and how to to do your play. Yeah, it was, you know, I still remember all the stuff she t- told us, you know, how the meditation techniques that she would do before she, uh, before she would go out and. Uh, oh, so she's a, she, she's, I know she has like a, um, 
a kind of aspy voice a little bit, but uh, she's she's a real person. In other words, she was friendly and nice to you and everything. Yeah, yeah she was. Uh, she really. Uh, she she really she really uh, she really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, she'd already been pretty much retired by that time. She hasn't really done much uh, much work really since really since the eighties. Really, since the '80s, she really hasn't done much. This was already in the. I think there was a film called "Searching for Deborah Winger," where she actually, right? There was a movie called "Searching for Deborah Winger," where she actually shows up at the end. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, did she know you were Jewish, Yitzchok? I know that your father is a non-Jew, and you weren't necessarily wearing your yarmulke. Did she know you were Jewish? Um, well, she she certainly found out. I think I think she knew, but I remember she actually taught me the word Shomer Shabbos. It was uh, I was trying to become Shomer Shabbos, and I pretty much was, wasn't 100% yet, but I was walking into town, uh, this was after we made this play, but I was walking into town uh, to go to the library on Shabbos once, uh, it was a good couple mile walk, certainly it's out of the Tchum. Yeah, you didn't know about uh, Tchumim yet, yeah, but yeah. okay, but you didn't know what... He was driving by and asked me, you know, if I needed a ride. And I said, uh, you know, no, I, I don't, I don't was ride on Saturday. And she said, oh, you're Shemr Shabbos? I was like, I, what does that mean? I don't know. What does that mean? She, meaning, it, means, it means you keep Shabbos. I said, I'm trying to, you know. I see. Interesting. She grew up from. Her mother so? covered her hair and everything. She was. Uh, and, and then we know that thing, I think she went to. Um, I think she was in Israel, or she was on the kibbutz, right? Or she was. In yeah, the I army. think she was in the IDF, also. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of where she uh, she <laughs> dropped out. Right? Was uh, she grew up in Ohio, I think, but in a very from family, and uh, wow. that was uh, wow. So it was definitely one of ours. Yeah. So, but she did the death scene great, and she did it without mawkishness. Uh, you know. Um, anyway, a real tour de force there with Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. I think Nicholson. I think Nicholson picked up an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in that film. If not mistaken. Yeah, I don't understand how she never how she never got an Oscar for that. not only that film, but a lot of films that she made. She was very well. Very look again. Her, I, her career was not. You have to realize when Cheryl McLean got that Oscar, it was the Oscar that she maybe you know the apartment, the trouble with Harry, Sweet Charity, and in other words, many times if a person sticks around long enough, and then has a certain significant performance towards the end of their career, Hollywood uh, decides to throw them that that bone. And Shirley MacLaine is great in that, uh, but Deborah Winger can match her, and that's uh, that, that's a testament to something. I guess the other film that I was thinking about that is centered around a funeral and not centered around uh, death, you know, someone dying, which is, of course, I'm spoiling uh, terms of endearment for you if you haven't seen it. Um, is one of my favorite films that I grew up watching um, on whatever, you know, on the local channel and then seeing again. Uh, and it's tough for me to actually watch without getting all emotional about it. That's The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. And that, yeah. of course, is one of John Ford's last films. Um, it was a film that many people say was the last Western that meant anything that was ever made. And, of course, that film, The, the Framing Device, is that uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, who is at that point a senator, um, is uh, on his way back to some town in Texas or whatever it is uh, to actually attend the funeral of a sort of an unknown fellow who nobody thinks is so significant anymore, Tom Donovan. And that, of course, was John Wayne. 
And this is this was a film that had these two great American stars, John Wayne and and Jimmy Stewart. And if you remember, it's all about the, the, the most of the film, of course, is told in flashback, uh, where you know Jimmy Stewart um, discusses his past and how, as a young fellow, he came to town and his his relationship with John Wayne, and of course, uh, he ends up marrying the girl that that that, that John Wayne was planning on marrying. Um, and John Wayne, despite all that, shows his great heroism. And you know, of course, again, I'm spoiling it for people who haven't seen it, but John Wayne, of course, uh, um, is very much involved being, uh, determining who is really the man who shoots Liberty Valance. And Liberty Valance, of course, is this wonderfully played villain. Um, before he was before he was playing good guys, he played a great villain. And you know I'm talking about, of course, Lee Marvin. Mm-hmm. Lee Marvin is the is, is Liberty, and uh, what a great name! Just Liberty. It's just a, and really the film is really a, a great. It's a great song. The the theme song is is the man who shot Liberty Valance. Really, I can't sing it. <laughs> it's a really great great theme song for the movie. And it really does, and it's 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 a funeral for the western. Really, it's technically John, you know, Tom Donovan's funeral. They're coming to uh, to put a flower there and. It has to do with love and loss and, and the guilt that I think um, uh, the, the wife of Jimmy Stewart, I forgot who plays her in the movie, you can look it up, but I think that, you know, there's, a, uh, um, there's a sense of, of guilt uh, that she has, that, that, she, that she left him for this lonely life where he never did get married, you know, uh, John Wayne. And of course, John Wayne plays John Wayne. He plays him in a way that, um, that uh, shows his heroism, but all, also a lot of his, uh, you know, his... Uh, I guess push, you know, that he would push people around, and he wasn't exactly warm and fuzzy. Um, I, it's got it's got a lot of the great uh, John Quaylen, I think, is in it as well. Um, Woody Strode um, uh, is in the film as John Wayne's um, uh, Pompey, I think his name is is John Wayne's, and today would be considered uh, quite negative uh, African American stereotype. But it definitely is a film about loss, about life about what it means, the the effort that was taken. I think he takes a whole journey from to, to, from Washington to be able to attend the funeral. And sometimes, even though you become very distant in life and you don't see a person for 25 or 30 years, um, it, it's crucial for your own sense, uh, for the catharsis to well, to, to well up inside of you uh, and to be able to come to terms with things. Uh, always a great framing device for a movie, but... Um, it probably does really resonate uh, very strongly with people as well in the real world to be able to do that. All right. So, you know, you, you mentioned this, this character that John Wayne played that he, he, he wasn't, uh, he didn't get to marry his sweetheart. And I think that might be connected back to what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, you, you ask, you know, how do these guys manage uh, to miss out on all the simchas, uh, you know, uh, to miss out on their their children's weddings and the births of their grandchildren and so forth, and it's really quite rare to hear about, at least, uh, you know, in, in Waymart, very rarely do you hear about, you know, oh, uh, an inmate, you know, had a grandchild born or had a when their children get married or so forth, because. Uh, most of them are, are single. Most of them, 
you know, either were never married or they're divorced or they're, they're estranged from their families. It's, um, and part of it, I think, is because, uh, you know, being married for a man really settles him down. I mean, that's what they say. I'm going to settle down. Uh, being single is very conducive to, to a life of crime, whereas being married, unless you're Bonnie and Clyde, you know, it's, it's kind of, unless you have a partner in crime, it's, it's not that easy to, uh, to really have a stable relationship, a stable marriage, and uh, have all those types of simchas and stuff, and then wind up um, for a long term in prison. You know, most of the stories that we know in the from community white collar crimes uh, don't usually have very long sentences once in a while they do and in those cases you know the you have more of the tragedy of missing out on these things and and they really feel it and they experience uh, I, I, it I, I, I think i think you you make a good point and i think that uh, clearly there's a you know a stability a guilt factor and all these things that are the checks that stop you from slipping and um I would also say that maybe, especially in your prison, where people who are suffering from pathological issues in the way they interact with people, probably also precludes them from having normal relationships and stable families, right? A person. I mean, some of them tried, but then that's how a lot of them, that's how they wound up in prison was their family members were their victims. Yeah. And that's, uh, and, and in some ways, like you say, you know, that, 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 that aberrant personality is why they're in prison in the first place. And that's the reason why, you know, that has precluded them from forging those types of relationships. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, it's interesting, I guess, you know, I guess if you're going to be realistic about the Manishai Liberty Valance, you might wonder why John Wayne didn't go into life of crime afterwards. It just ended up sulking on his, on his farm. But yeah, it definitely is a, uh, uh, like you say, a mark of someone in prison as someone who isn't, able to come to terms with many ways to come to terms with himself and be able to relate to others in the proper way that these type of things can, can be, can these relationships can be forged. But then, but as we know, you know, uh, mistakes are made and it's tragic when whatever those mistakes are, whether they snowball into a life of crime or that one big mistake or that one moment of the Itzahara that gets, that gets you, and, and causes it, to, or even if it's a, like we've talked about Shishibas and others who have been in prison for righteous reasons, um, the hubris that, that pushed them, like, you know, in terms of forcing people to get eaten and things like that. Um, those are moments, unfortunately, that I think, you know, we, we try to have a very um, amusing tone between us. And, I, I, and you've really brought it back to me, it's like the seriousness of what's about the seriousness and the, and I guess those, if there are people out there, be scared straight <laughs> from, from the, what you're hearing uh, from Yitzchak and me tonight. Um, <laughs> you don't want to see Yitzchak ministering for you. And, and obviously you want to do whatever you can to Makayim. I'll have to say something because, you know, one of, one of the inmates who's Jewish, who was asking me about, uh, you know how do I about uh, why don't they sell um, in the commissary potato chips that have a hechsher the kosher the pesach? And I and I told him you know Ramosha says that you can and not only a lot of the earlier poskim say you know you can you can use shemen of kidneys you can use yeah, you can use, it's only so, so, 
So anyway, I, I said, you know, you, you should when you did your crime, you should have gone over state lines and you would you'd be in the federal prison. <laughs> then you could have your 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 patentives with the hefter on it. I so. hear, I hear. Look, look what people turn to. There's the heroes of the Minhage Yisrael. This is a guy who eats Nevelis and Trefus all year, but the... <laughs> But you won't eat. You won't eat the shemen shel kidneys. I told him he could do it. I think. I think he's gonna for laws of that. But but the DOC might not let. I don't know how they. Yes. They they might catch him eating something that's just OU and not OUP, and they they are gonna say now we're not gonna give you your your Pesach uh, diet. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's hope that again as we go into this man that it's taka cheres mamish cheres from. All the the encrusting aspects of the shibud that we that we've had for such a long time, and maybe even the chayrus for for your chevra that hopefully they could be molar its day. That's it, my friends. Thanks a lot again, Rabbi for giving us your time. Hopefully, we'll catch you again soon. Take care, everyone. Be well. Good night. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.